Welcome to the Pure Creative Force Podcast. I'm Christy McNabb, your host. There's a pulse of creativity running through each of us. It's our job to honor and activate it. Creativity is the antidote to the ills, struggles, and challenges we see in our lives and the world around us. The act of creating and bringing forth something new dissolves the old and useless ways. Join us and discover how to unleash the pure creative force within. Hear from fellow creators about their process and learn how to keep elevated. Be inspired to go create. In today's episode, I interview Raghavir Kintish, an artist, educator, and yogi. As an artist, Raghavir opens conversations about how we access and interact with the subtle realms and how spiritual practice and art practice are one and the same. She teaches teens at the Los Angeles High School for the Arts and teaches Kundalini Yoga, the ancient yogic science and technology brought to the U.S. by Yogi Bhajan. She shares her journey with creativity as a child and a mother. She walks us through her current creativity series she's teaching. Listen in to learn about strengthening your nervous system and energy reserve to overcome resistance, how to uplink to the universal mind and open yourself up to the pure creative force. Raghavir's impact is to create elevated vibrations in everything she does. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you, Raghavir, and welcome to the Pure Creative Force podcast. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. As an artist, a yogi, and an entrepreneur, and a teacher, share your life's journey with creativity. Well, um, I've always been an artist. I came from a creative family. Well, one side of my family was creative, and the other side was creative in a different way. But creativity was always nurtured in my household. There was always a lot of music, a lot of art. And uh, at an early age, it was decided that, that that would be nurtured in me. And so I was never told I couldn't do it or that it wouldn't be smart to do it. I was just given every opportunity to pursue my artistic expression. And I did that musically as well as artistically. At the beginning, I just made things. You know, I created sculptures out of uh, aluminum foil, or I figured out you could make clay with laundry detergent and water. <laughs> and <laughs> it didn't matter what it was. I was always making something or create, like I would, un I would take everything out of my parents' drawers and I would like create little environments inside of them and had all kinds of things going on. <laughs> You're a crafty <laughs> child. Yeah, I mean, I had an invisible horse in my bedroom and I used to, I, like, I built this, I built like a chart on the wall where I would check all the body parts of the horse to make, it was, make sure it was okay. And I just had this very creative inner and outer life, you know, and I just, uh, I just I made things. I painted, I drew, I, uh, I don't know, I could make constructions. I just was always doing something. And I, well, I used to spend my allowance on art supplies and electrical supplies because I was very into electricity mm -hmm. and I liked building contraptions using electricity. 
So that was also kind of a creative thing that I did. And I also studied music. I started piano at a very early age. And then it was determined that at three years old, I was just faking that I was reading the music. And so <laughs> they, they, they put me on hold for a while. And then I went back. I studied piano for most of, you know, most of my young life. And I played the, the violin. I studied the violin in, in junior high school and high school. And I, when I got to Los Angeles in 1989, I started studying the accordion. And I also took um, Afro-Cuban percussion lessons as an adult. And then somewhere when I was a teenager, I decided I wanted to play the guitar because I wanted to be like Tim Buckley. I wanted a 12-string guitar. And miraculously, one of them fell off of a truck. One of my parents' friends had the, uh, a truck that it fell off of, and I got one. Oh, so, fantastic. <laughs> Instant manifestation, right? Right. So I was um, always, you know, trying to make music sound. I was singing. I was, you know, doing whatever. I was just, oh, have always been, like, multi- you know, multidisciplinary and always making something. Mm -hmm. so. how, how has your, how you personally define creativity, how has that deepened or kind of shifted since you've been a child, you know, throughout your whole life? Well, it really hasn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a period of time where I thought that it had to kind of fit into a certain box because that's how society defines it for us. But really, you know, your creativity is an expression of your soul. And if you have, you feel free and you, um, you know, you have, uh, you have that flow moving in you, it can make, it can take its form many different ways. Um, you know, you can cook, you can cook with it, you can speak with it, you can love with it. You can do anything with it. And everything that I did in my life, I always uh, imbued it with this kind of energy. It's just something, you know, it's something I knew that I had. And I knew that I never had to be fearful that I would ever run out. Mm. You know, so if anything, I was like super confident about how I created my world. And if something didn't work, I knew that I could just keep creating something else until it did work. And, you know, I just knew that there were, I always had it at my disposal. And so, yeah, that's something I've always been incredibly assured of and confident in. Was what my a gift. Yeah, like, yeah, it is. To, to know that I could make something out of nothing. Didn't matter what it was. And I feel that way every time I go into the kitchen or, you know, I go into my studio. There's always something that can be done. And you can do that with, you know, in friendship and in, um, in your workplace, anywhere, you know, you can just infuse, infuse what you're doing with your, your heart and soul. And um, it's a, a completely different, it's a completely different thing that goes on. Mm-hmm. And what a gift to receive that from that nurturing from your parents. And I know you've also been able to share that with your daughter as well. And we had yeah. talked before, one of the greatest joys as an artist, you said being able to share that. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your daughter's journey as an artist and kind of how you have really helped nurture and grow that as well? 
Well, you know, from the get-go, you know, she was always, like myself, making things, making worlds, you know, recreating what she had. I mean, all of her dolls, she, she changed, you know, she cut them up, she restructured them, she put things in them, she tied them up, she put them in little scenarios. She, she was always making uh, like, diorama, like dioramas in real life. And she always had this, she always walked around with a big bag of things. <laughs> like a, she was kind of like a, a, she just had, she was always dragging around these bags of toys and objects <laughs> and things. And even when she was, I remember when she was in preschool or kindergarten, they thought that she should go to a psychiatrist because she was taking Barbie dolls and ripping off their heads and then tying them up onto the chairs in the preschool and, she used to put pins in everything. <laughs> so everything was decorated with kind of these head, you know, these pins. And I, at that time, I was doing a lot of stenciling work. And so I used an X-Acto blade. And so she became very adept at a very early age with carving things with an X-Acto blade. She has an incredible eye-hand coordination, and she's always drawing. And she, I used to buy her those black and white composition books mm-hmm. at the store, and she would just fill them up. She had what appeared to be like hundreds of them, just always drawing, always drawing and writing and drawing. And, and she just was – I've never seen – I, would, I never drew in a, a notebook like that, but she was always that way. And she, she was also musical – and rhythmic, and she's a very expressive, and, you know, I just, you know, I felt like, oh, my God, this is a person who understands me. <laughs> Not that I understood her. It's just I felt like she understood me that I had, you know, kind of a soulmate in, in her or a creative buddy that we could sort of really speak the same language. And I feel sometimes that, you know, this is not the first time we've traveled together. <laughs> you know, it's like she's my daughter now, but I feel almost like I have been her daughter in another life. You know, that's the kind of continuum mm. and comfort uh, that we have inside of this creative relationship. And we talk about creativity to each other, and we talk about problem solving, and we just have an understanding. So, I mean, I think that's true among people who are creative or are artists, even though there are many different kinds of artists. I think if you have a familiarity with that creative flow and you have, you know, access to it, there's another language. You don't even need words. It's just, um, you just have an understanding of how that, you know, that kind of energy works. Mm-hmm. in this material plane. So having her as my daughter is the greatest gift. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's really important to be able to nurture. You mean you nurture it in yourself, and it's great to sort of know how to make it and how to nurture it for other people. I'm also a teacher at a high school in Los Angeles called the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts, and I feel a lot like that too. I feel that setting the stage for young people to get in touch with that is a really important aspect of why I teach. 
And it's good for me too, because it helps, you know, it helps germinate and generate creative energy in me too. Mm-hmm. And what a, and, you know, important lesson, it's it nurture the creativity in yourself, but then, you know, also if you don't have the relationship, you know, that Ragabir has with her daughter, it's find that community and really make an effort to be surrounded by other artists to be able to communicate and to get into that creative flow. And that's, you know, amazing. You have it with your daughter and then also in, in the work you do, you know, as a teacher in the high school and as an artist, you've got yeah. that community always surrounded by other creative minds. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, I'm very lucky. Well, I'm blessed, let's say. It's a better way to put it in that the people who are my friends are also creative people, whether they manifest as quote unquote artists or not. Most of the people who are my friends speak in that language or have experience of being creative. So um, I surround myself with people who nurture that vitality in me and, you know, we do it for each other. But also, you know, I did have the opportunity to go back to school when I was 60, you know, a couple of years ago. I'm 63 now. And at 60, I went back to school and got my MFA in public practice and at Otis College of Art and Design. And I wanted to re-immerse myself in an environment, in an academic environment, where that was the main focus. And also I wanted to get back into my studio work and just give two years over to thinking, dreaming, working, and, and sort of re-evaluating um, re my relationship with the world through creativity at this particular point in time. When I went to school originally in 1976, it was a different world. Mm-hmm. And yes, most of the people I went to school with were much younger than I was, although I didn't feel that I was older, unless I looked in the mirror. But <laughs> <laughs> I was sometimes shocked. I would go to the ladies' room and I would you know, look in the mirror and I would be like, oh, who's that? <laughs> because I really connected with an ageless me you know mm-hmm. I felt I actually I feel that way all the time yes so it's, it's it's really not just because I was in art school again it was humbling because the people I was surrounded by all the young the young vital artists were so I don't know want to say advanced but were so intelligent and were so um, expressive and so in touch with the political climate and how to use their art to sort of connect with that and comment on it and to and make the world a better place. So amazing. So you're currently teaching a creativity series at Rama mm-hmm. called Creativity in Daily Life. And you've really dug deep into the teachings of Yogi Bhajan and kind of cold and culminated this creative process, you know, something that all of us could take, you know, there's a number of steps and it's, it's how can we connect with the universal mind, connect to our, our, our true creativity within. Share with us those steps. Okay. Well, the first thing you can kind of think of it as the introduction is basically becoming aware of the universal mind 
And Yogi Bhajan said something in 1971. He said, wherever you plug your mind, that you shall be. So, you know, if you plug your mind into small, insignificant stuff, you're going to have small, insignificant experience. But if you plug your mind into vast, infinite, creative flow, then you're going to have expansive, creative, (laughs) divine experiences. Your experiences are going to be grand. They're going to be big and infinite. So that's kind of the, the first order of business, is to just acknowledge that we are part of this universal consciousness. And once you have an understanding of that, then we can proceed to the next step, which was called uplink. You know, there's that energy field, that cosmic flow that's going on all the time. And you have to figure out a way to get good reception. You know, you have to get, you know, arrange your, your bandwidth so that you can pick it up. You can pick up what you need. And your brain has everything it needs to hook up, much like your computer has, you know, the wiring to hook into the internet. And you can really, yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of uplinking to higher consciousness. And everything is out there. You know, we have all of these, all of this, like television waves and, and radio waves, and they're floating around all around us, and we can't hear them, and we can't see them. But you can tune into all of that when you hone your equipment. And you do that through yoga and meditation, or being still and being sensitive. And you can start to hear things and feel things that you can't really hear unless you're paying attention. And eventually you start to hear them all the time. And that's why, you know, there are great discoveries going on around the world at the very same time in in different locations, because all that information, you don't own anything. It's like your ego is not involved. So you have to uh, realize that what you get is part of everybody. You know, it's shared by everybody. You don't really own it. You're just picking it up. So that's the first step is the mm-hmm. uplink. And it's, it's your job that it's, it's, it needs to be expressed through you. So it's however your unique expression is what you share with the world. Yeah. And, you know, like, for example, you can get it in pieces, like little fragments, like David Lynch said that, you know, you, they, you, know, you pick it up in little pieces and then you kind of pull it together and it becomes something or it can come to you in one big flash you know you kind of see this is what happens to me a lot that way is where something comes to me and I see the whole thing and then it's my job to kind of deconstruct it and figure out how to do it these messages or this information it comes in as energy waves and then through your through your system you're able to decode it and turn it into an idea. So that's the next step is the conceive. Because to conceive is, that's where those energy, those energy waves turn into ideas or thought waves. And uh, Yogi Bhajan had said that an idea is something that comes you know, from something else. 
it's not really yours. <laughs> so I think that's something that's really important, you know. It, like, to conceive implies that the idea or something comes from something else. And Yogi Bhajan did say that an idea is something which is beyond you and which you have grabbed. You can quote that. Mm -hmm. An idea is something which is beyond you and which you have grabbed. So the transformation of a thought wave into an idea is where, where the conception occurs. You may realize a lot of these words are sort of are similar to the words we use for making a baby, you know? So when you conceive, the idea is implanted in you. And then the next step is the flourishing or the, what I just call flourish, which is where you nurture and grow the idea. And you do that, you know, through your art practice or whatever it is you're doing, you, you're growing and you're feeding it, you're watering it. You're, you know, if you're having a baby, you know, you, at this point, you're taking care of your body, you're taking care that the, that the seed can grow the best way it can. And that's what, in creativity, that's what you do. You, you nurture the idea, you play with the idea, you, you know, you poke it and you, <laughs> you poke it and you move it and you love it. And it's also the part where it's starting to kind of sprout and want to, you know, come out of you and, and become part of somebody else or a community. It's um, a really good thing uh, that I found was this quote by Beethoven. And he says, don't only practice your art, but force your way into the secrets. Art deserves that for it and knowledge can raise man to the divine, which is my whole thing is this whole confluence of art practice and spiritual practice that it's like the same thing. So at this point in the flourish part is when you are like obsessed, you're obsessed with this idea and you do anything to get at it. You know, you're like digging and digging and digging and reaching and trying to get to, um, trying to get to the point where you can bring it to fruition. Just like a flower has, you know, has a bud, right? And it needs a certain kind of metabolism for the bud to flower. And the same thing is true in us. We have to nurture it so that our bud of an idea can flower so that we can, the next step, deliver it. And delivering is the result of your determination and backed by energy. So when you deliver something, you have to consider that everything depends on the deliverance. If you can't deliver the goods, then, <laughs> then it never gets made, nobody sees it, you know, maybe it fails, but you know, whatever it is, you have to, you have to deliver it. And if you don't deliver it, it will, it will get destroyed or destroy you. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Yogi Bhajan called God, generate, organize, and deliver or destroy. You know, generate, organize, or destroy, generate, organize, or deliver. So that what you're delivering either delivers you or it destroys you. It's kind of the energy is the same, but one is kind of more positive than the other. 
but that's what happens in the delivery stage. And then you deliver because of impact, which is the next thing you need to be conscious of. And when, you do, when you're creating impact, uh, Yogi Bhajan said that creativity is nothing else but to create impact. So that's what you want to consider. Everything that you do in this flourishing stage, even preparing for delivery, even in the uplink, all of these things are to create an impact in somebody else, in a community, in an environment. If you're not creating an impact, there's no point in doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the class, I told a story. I didn't even intend to, te- to tell it, but that my father was an athlete and he was a shot putter. And a shot putter it basically takes an iron ball and throws it in one throw. And you have to thrust it into the air. And when my father was doing it, it was back, you know, a long time ago. And he, I think he was a champion and he had thrown it like 58 or 59 feet. Could you imagine taking a 17-pound iron ball and throwing it and having it land like almost 60 feet away? I'm sure it's more now that people can do it. Amazing. But all of that training, everything, it goes in, all that training, all that energy, that consolidation of that, that thrust is, that, is, is the best way that I can think of impact. That when you throw that shot put into the air, where it lands is the impact it has. And that's how it is with everything you do. Mm-hmm. When you create something, if you're not aware of the impact it will have, you can create a lot of problems. Just like when you say something, your words have a lot of impact. You can, you know, you can hurt somebody or you can make somebody feel really incredible. The same thing with your art. You, know, you can get people all riled up or you can heal with it. You know, you, but you need to ha- take responsibility for knowing the impact that your creative process will have on the world. And I always feel like I prefer to think of the impact I have is to ultimately create elevated vibrations in everything I do. So if I'm creating something, I want to at least um, elevate, you know, somebody's energy or their thought forms or make them feel better. You know, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. So that, that's kind of the impact I try to have in everything I do. The next one is healing, because healing is just another form of creativity, prosperity, and love. It's also an energy form that, that is in us. I mean, healing is not an end result. Healing is a process that occurs all the time, just like creativity occurs all the time, and that it need, just needs to be irrigated, much in the same way that creativity needs to be irrigated. That's what you're doing, is, and through yoga, is learning how to irrigate these natural energy flows so that they can benefit you and then benefit other people. Mm-hmm. And um, he- you know, healing, prosperity, love, creativity. I always think of these things as just manifestations of the kundalini energy. And I like to think that kundalini energy is kind of like an inheritance. So we all get this inheritance. And just like if you got like a high monetary um, inheritance, you could 
you know, get rid of it pretty fast. You could spend it pretty quickly, but you can also learn how to reinvest it so that you could make more of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that we do when we learn how to control our energy flows in practicing yoga and meditation is to learn how to channel that energy, to learn how to reinvest it so that we have more of it to, for ourselves and to share with others. And in healing, since our body, basically all the cells in our body changes every 72 hours, we're in a constant state of healing. It's only when that flow stops or the rhythm, you know, um, our rhythmic pattern gets um, out of whack that the healing stops. And that's when we experience disease or discomfort. Mm -hmm. So healing is nothing more than another, I think, another manifestation of creativity. And healing is considered an art. Because healing, um, once you heal and learn how to heal yourself, it's only then that you can start to heal others. So it's something that you can share. And a lot of people, you know, can feel healing energy in many different ways. And sometimes it gets activated when you are in the presence of somebody who needs it. You know, it's almost like if you're with, you have a glass of water and you're with somebody who is really thirsty, you know, it's kind of, it's like you're you're kind of set up to deliver the goods. Mm. There are three ones after that. It's self-care prosperity, and community. Mm -hmm. And a creative person is always working, whether they're in the studio or not, and the radio receiver is always turned on. How can we as creators strengthen our receiver? Well, one, one thing is to have a daily practice of meditation and yoga so that you are creating the kind of nervous system that can pick up those signals and, and hold them. You know, even the simplest thing um, of, of wanting to do something, you know, you need to, you know, if, let's just call it this way, anything you want to do, like I want to go to my studio every day for at least two hours. Now that's a, a thought that has a charge. Now, if I can't sustain that electrical, electromagnetic charge, then I'm going to do something else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But my intention and my commitment to that has to be supported by an electromagnetic charge um, in me. And it's, you know, it's achieved through strengthening the nervous system and strengthening my energy reserve my navel energy is going to get me to the studio and that uh, nervous system is going to hold that charge so that I, I can get over the hump of my resistance to doing it. You know, so maybe I want to do something else. I mean, everybody has this, you know, I'm going to start running and I'm going to run a mile and a half <laughs> every day. Now, one thing you could do to, to sort of gradually enter into a commitment, which will increase your, um, your bandwidth so that you can, you know, your receiver will be on all the time, is to do it in segments that are completely doable. 
you know, instead of saying, I'm going to run 27 miles today, maybe I'll run one mile, <laughs> you know, and then the next day, maybe I'll run a little bit more, you know, and a lot of people give themselves impossible goals, and then they quit because they can't, you know, they can't do it. So but if you give yourself doable goals, that your commitment builds your radiance and your radiance is your electromagnetic field. So you, you know, you will hold, be able to hold the charge the more and more you do it. And we all know that habits are formed after 40 days. So even if you just keep it going and going, you'll eventually change it into a habit and then it'll become a ingrained habit you know, after 90 days, and then you'll master it eventually at a thousand days. So it just becomes you. So these habits, you know, you have to get into the groove and repeat them and repeat them. And then your reserve gets stronger, your willpower gets stronger, and then pretty much it's on kind of autopilot. Mm -hmm. but, all of, but all of these things actually you know, keep all of those, you know, keep all of those channels open so that everything you do in everything, in every way you do, you're always kind of working. You know, you're always picking things up. You're always observing. You're always being sensitive. You're always being aware. You know, you're thinking about how this experience will feed into my work. You know, how this uh, pertains to that. You know, you make different kinds of connections to to your world you know when you are when you have all of your lights on mm -hmm. and you've spoken about this before so there's two schools of thought some people wait for inspiration and some people show up and do the work on a daily basis whether they're inspired or not what's been your experience and how do you show up every day um, like I said before, I make a commitment. I, I usually have to have some kind of a framework to make a commitment. So, for example, this summer, I decided that I was going to give myself a quote-unquote summer residency. A lot of people, you know, you go away to be in an environment where you have no distractions, and, you know, you can you call that a, a residency. And I decided to create one for myself. Now, I could just pick up and go to my studio on a daily basis, but for some reason, I felt like I needed to call it something in order to get me there. Mm. And so that's what I did. And so for the summer, I went to the studio as much as I could on a daily basis, whether I actually you know, made art or not. Sometimes I went there and I read, and sometimes I went there and I wrote or did other things, and sometimes I just did pure work. But I showed up. And I think that, for me, is the most effective way. Otherwise, it feels too much like binging. Mm. You know, if I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for inspiration, there's a lot of time that gets wasted for me. It may not work that way for a lot of people. But then once I go in and start working, I have the inspiration in the work. So when I'm working, it sort of suggests... You know, it's sort of like turning on the dial, turning up the dial, and I, that's when the inspiration comes continuously. It's not one thing; it's always. Mm -hmm. But that has to. It's like priming the pump. You know, I go in and I work, and I go in and I sit, I go in and I. Just making the drive to the studio, 
is for me enough to get it going. It's like sitting down and meditating. You just do it at the consistency. You do it every day. Some days are great. Some days are not so great. Some days are so-so. But you show up and you do it because mm-hmm. the effect is cumulative. And what advice, is this the most effective way just to show up for anyone out there who may be experiencing writer's block or creator's block or kind of stuck in the story of I, I can't move forward? What advice would you have for how to bust out of that? Just show up. Little, but just take, take little chunks. Take little chunks and show up. And don't judge yourself. And move. Mm. You know, take a walk. Dance. Move the body. Moving the body is probably the most effective way to get unstuck. And stop calling it stuck. It's part of the process. The life moves in cycles. There are cycles of extreme production. There are cycles of non-production. There are cycles of semi-production. Just show up and just see what happens. And if you can't even make it to show up, then just move. Just move your body. Mm-hmm. Because moving the body will, will really uns- unstuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it just gets, it gets the energy moving. And, you know, in Kundalini, we have thousands of, of tools and meditations and mantras and, and yoga sets that you can use for specific things. But if you can't even do that, just take a walk or jump up and down or put on some music and dance. Just get it, you know, get the energy moving. A friend of mine handed me a timer and she said, have you heard about the, the I think it was called, she called it the tomato the tomato, um, the tomato timer. And I said, no, what is that? And she handed me this little 90 minute tomato timer. You know, it's like a timer in the shape of a tomato. (laughs) And she said, you turn it on to 90 minutes and you give yourself 90 minutes to just be creative, Mm. to do something artistic. You don't go on the computer. You don't get on the phone. You don't have any distractions. And you just give yourself 90 minutes to just sit there and do nothing if you want. But those 90 minutes are yours to have some sort of creative act. So I, you know, say take that one step further. Start with 15 minutes. 15 minutes is a powerful chunk of time to do something that has no end result except for you to exert your creativity. It doesn't have to be drawing. It doesn't have to be writing. It could be, um, it could be ripping things up or pasting things down or, I don't know, just something where you're not, you're just playing. I think that's really what it's all about is, is give yourself 15 minutes to play and just do that on a regular basis. Like every day, just give yourself 15 minutes to play where you have no interruptions. Great practice, great tool. What advice would you have and what advice do you give to your clients and your students who are stuck in the, well, I'm not creative or this doesn't apply to me, I'm not an artist? I sort of chuckle to myself. (laughs) Because I know that everybody is creative. There's not one person in this world who's not creative. We all 
have creative energy at our disposal. And there's nothing that you can, there's nothing you can't do in this world that um, can't be turned into a creative act. It's just all, it's your attitude. I mean, we've been taught that there's only one way to be creative, that it has to, you know, it has to be transformed into quote unquote art, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. But mothering, fathering is creative. Being a friend is creative. Cleaning your house is creative. Being you is creative. Every, you know, the fact that you wake up in the morning and you have the ability to create your life, that's the biggest creative act of all. That's the most creative thing. It doesn't make any difference what you do, what you do for a living. It doesn't, it makes no difference. You can be creative as an accountant. You can be creative as a teacher. You can be creative as a truck driver. It doesn't make any difference. So I kind of chuckle because I know, I know the nature of creativity and how it works. And everybody's creative. That's how we got here. Absolutely. You have such a strong sense of self and such a strong confidence in your work and in your creativity. What advice do you have for listeners who need to build that confidence? Just do it. I think the more you do, the more you know, and the less you doubt. And do it, for, and, you know, do it for yourself. Don't do it for anybody else. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it for somebody else, you know, at least at that point, you know, when you're trying to build your confidence, you're going to, you know, you're just going to run up against one wall after another. It'll, you know, you could get through the obstacles, but it's like, it's too painful to even think about. <laughs> and creativity isn't painful. It's like when you go to the gym, you know, when you first go to the gym, you don't think that, you know, you could lift a certain weight or you can't do a certain number of repetitions or, you know, you, you say, oh, I'm going to, if I go on that treadmill, I'm going to like keel over. But, you know, you just do it little by little by little. And you just do it until you feel the confidence in your own human body and you get stronger and then you have more confidence. Yeah. Oh yeah. I could, I could lift 25 pounds. Oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can, I can be on the treadmill for an hour. Yeah, I can do that. I can start to jog. You know, you just feel, you, you build a confidence and if you're not used to doing it, you need to build the confidence in your own sort of physicality and your mentality, you know, there's so many different ways to, to build confidence, but you just have to do it for yourself. Don't do it for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then you'll know who you are. Just like when you meditate. I mean, that's how you find out who you are. You know, you, you don't really find out how other people react to you. Because if you have the confidence in who you are, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Great advice. Thank you, Raghavir, for your insights and wisdom and for sharing with us the ancient Kundalini teachings on creativity. You can visit Raghavir at raghavirayoga.com. That's www.raghavir.com.
H-U-B-I-R-Y-O-G-A.com. You can also check out her upcoming creativity series at Rama Institute in Venice or access it online at www.rama-tv.com. And if you're interested in learning more about the creativity teachings, be sure to sign up for Raghavir's newsletter on her website. Thanks for joining us on the Pure Creative Force. Be inspired and go create something new today. And if you enjoy the captivating mantra music, check out our featured musical artist, Osley. That's O-S-L-E-E underscore music on Instagram. <laughs>